1: Okay, so we're delighted to be joined on the Premier View podcast this week by uh, Drum and Inch orler, uh, Damian Damien Young. You're very welcome, Damien. Thanks very much. So, Damien, you're um, at the moment you're senior lecturer there with uh, with the Tanta College, and you've recently done a doctorate in the area of GPS, and you've previously been a performance analyst for the for the Tipsy and order, So. You, you've built a very successful career in performance analysis, having previously been a strength and conditioning trainer, uh, particularly in Hurland. How did you first get into this area? And is, this, is it something that you fell into or something that you, you had an interest in from an early age?
0: Well, I suppose it goes back right to when I was in college and part of my uh, education was about uh, <clears throat> sports science and um, the area of, of conditioning uh, in WIT and at that time, there was very little sports related courses. Um, so I went to do business studies, recreation literature in Watford, And, and part of uh, my fourth year thesis was to undertake um, uh, an, an analysis of hurling. And that was the title that I, I um, selected. And at that time, uh, we were looking at uh, the demands of, of hurling um, based on my own kind of training. Uh, being involved with the, the Tip Seniors at the time, and uh, back at that stage, then Liam Sheedy was just after coming into the role in two thousand and eight. Um, he was just after taking senior management, and uh, we got chatting uh, about the whole area of performance analysis, and it kind of dovetailed into what I was I was looking at, and um, took on the role then, uh, looking at performance analysis at that time. Um, so that kind of led me into the role of performance analysis with Tip. Um, so from from then on, we got involved in um, tracking and and analyzing performance, and that kind of led me on to my kind of teaching career, uh, be it with leash College and now with uh, Limerick Institute of Technology, uh, um, where where I work.
1: Yeah. Uh, so like Horland performances um, and performance analysis probably still in its infancy in terms of, of professionals who study the game in the detail that, that you do. Um, how did it start out initially and what sort of responses did you get from ordinary GA people, which I suppose this was probably alien to um, when it first started, uh, when you published your first research article? Well, I
0: suppose if we if we look at overall of the game, um, there's there's been a number of trends that have happened over the years, and if we take it back to the the mid '90s, where the physical running conditioning was was major emphasis, then there was more emphasis on skill, then um, now it's more tactical, and everyone every team out there is trying to gain an an advantage. So, with with the tactical analysis and technical analysis comes performance analysis because they they want to find out more about the game. Um, I suppose early in in the the cycle of performance analysis, it was very basic, if if I can say basic, at the moment because you know supporters, not alone and analysts, uh, keep a record of what's happening in the game. Because if you go to any game, uh, people are marking down who scored and what they scored on their program or on a page or whatever so that they can discuss it when, when they go uh, after the match. And they, they like to, to track, well, who, who scored what and who got the most scores. So that was probably been going on for years and years and years without being called performance analysis. Um, and then I suppose the role grew with with a more need to understand what's happening in the game um, and avoid the, the area of opinion um, so we can't really um, be based on our, our analysis just on the world of opinion we, we kind of have to look at what actually happens in the game and that's reverts us back to match facts, if you like. So what actually happened in the game? So I suppose it grew with that and then understanding from a coach's point of view uh, what's happening and then being related back to the players for for them to understand and for them to get better then at at playing the game and increasing
1: their performance. Yeah. So, Can you take us through, you know, when, when, you, when you're coming up with an idea, what, what's the process and how, how do you formulate that idea? and What do you have to consider before presenting your idea to an institution? Okay, in terms of uh, research, is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose
0: uh, when I started out uh, publishing papers, um, it, it, I always wanted to make it as practical for the coach and for the players as possible. So what do we need to know about the game? So. If if you think about we're, we're spending so much time and effort about conditioning and training our players. So if we don't know what they do in the game, well, what are we doing with them in training? So it all starts off with a, a question. So the, the initial question is uh, that I had was, well, what do players do in the match? And from a running point of view, Um, Back, I remember being on the panel back in 2005-2006 and we were doing all this uh, long distance conditioning and I just got myself thinking because I was trying to formulate a question for my fourth year undergrad thesis to understand, well, what are they basing this running conditioning on? Now, it might have been good because we didn't know any different. So it starts with a question. And over the the number of publications I have, each one starts with a question. So for example, the senior demands, what are the running demands? How far do they run? How often do they run? How fast do they run? Then we want to find out, well, what was the structure of the game? Okay. So how long the ball is in play? How often it's in play? What stops the game? Okay. So if we know what stops the game, we we can understand what restarts the game and and gives us an overall structure of the game, because the game is a chaos, a game of chaos. So the more we understand about the game, the better we'll be able to prepare the players for. And the more questions that you ask, well, it generates further questions. So that led, led us on then to understanding the high intensity activity in the game. So the the upper sprinting activity so for example how many sprints under 20 meters over 20 meters that the players perform what is the intensity of sprints so we know that the the players reach speeds maximum speeds of 8.4 meters per second but how many times do they reach over that 90 percent or up near that peak speed because If again, if we know that, well, we can condition them in training so that they're ready for it and they're less likely to be fatigued from that and be able to repeat that. Uh, We went on then to look at what's the worst that can happen in a game. So if we know what's the worst that can happen and we can condition them for that, well, they're more likely to be able to respond to that. So we're trying to ask questions of the game and use the data then to inform us of the answers for the game so that we then can put it back into our training so that we prepare the players to reach higher levels of performance. And then the cycle continues.
1: Mm-hmm. That kind of leads me into my next question then. And you recently completed your your doctorate in in GPS. I suppose is it is it too simple to say that you're just tracking you are tracking the movements and amount of running a player does in game. And just when when you were talking there about the ninety percent, um, I watch a lot of cycling and and um, the the cyclists have watt meters and that on their bike, and they know. I suppose they, they talk about when you go into the red. Is that something that um, I suppose down the line that you could see hurlers doing now? Obviously they're not going to be able to look down at a watt meter, but that they'll have some sort of of um. Uh, technical thing that will say you were running too quick, you're going to burn yourself out or is that is that too simple to say that that, that that could come down the line?
0: Okay, so there's two things. So we look at GPS in the match and we look at GPS in training. So again, we wear GPS in the match to inform us of what actually happens in the match so that we can plug it back into training. And if we take about training then are we reaching the match demands? Or can we uh, provide activities that take us over the match demands so that when the match happens that they're able for that? Or sometimes in, in the training program, we, we may need an unload week, we need a lighter week. So by wearing GPS and training, we can actually quantify what they're doing so that they're doing less. And by doing less, they get a recovery to do more in the in the following weeks or recover and, and adapt from the previous weeks. Now, we also use GPS can uh, can be used to to rehab and um, return from a, a player from, from injury. So, for example, if, if a player got injured and he's wearing GPS and we have live GPS, we can say that we only want the player running at X amount of speed and X amount of distance and perform an X amount of sprints um, at this stage. And then next week we can uh, load them up a little bit more and the following week more and more and more rather than going straight into high intensity and they're more likely to break down. Now for years and years, we, we may have come across the term, um, oh, there's, there's, uh, the, the physio might have said uh, there's 20 minutes in them or there's 10 minutes in them or 30 minutes yeah. in them. Well, n- now we know or we have a, a better idea of how much is in them because by wearing GPS in a match we can build a profile of the player and over a number of years um, the 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 more data that we can have the more solid that profile is. And so if if for example we have a profile of a player and we know that they do X amount in a match. Well, if the player gets injured, so for example, a a cruciate or hamstring or whatever, and they're out for a number of weeks that they're not able to do anything, well, we can progressively get them back up to that match intensity by loading them week by week. Mm -hmm. And that is a really, really valuable uh, use of GPS. Now, more and more teams are wearing GPS, but. Are they actually using the information? And, and that is the critical thing. Because <clears throat> over the years, like um, there's a number of, of, of fads come in or, or training modalities come in. Um, and GPS is a hot topic at the moment. But just because you're wearing GPS, that doesn't mean that you're using it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is. And, and we, we don't know and we deliberately don't look at the GPS live in-game. Because we don't know, personally, we don't know um, enough about the game to make decisions on replacing players. Because remember, GPS only measures
1: the physical outputs of players. Okay. That's that's an interesting one now that would you say that you don't monitor it in-game because I suppose we all watch um, the Premier League or the majority of us would watch it and a player gets taken off after 80 minutes and the stat comes up, uh, he has ran 10.7 kilometres within the game. Mm-hmm. So obviously from that point of view, they, they are looking at it. But does the fact that the GA are amateur uh, put an obstacle in place in terms of progression of, the, of this research, uh, do you think?
0: Well, I suppose the technology has raced ahead of, of, of maybe the rules. Um, only in the last two years that FIFA in soccer have approved GPS to be used in uh, soccer. Uh, before that, and as you mentioned on the screen, it comes up the distance ran. That is uh, data from a computer analysis uh, camera-based system that's based within the stadium. There's 12 fixed cameras within the stadium and that's tracking the players and the ball movements. Mm-hmm. Whereas now uh, FIFA have permitted the use of GPS in tr- uh, in, in live games. And um, in GA, um the introduction of GPS has come ahead of the rules uh, and um, there's no limitations on that at the moment. Um, I suppose the, the biggest limitation in gathering data is uh, the sharing of data. Um, so if you if you look at the AFL, they all the teams in the league have signed up to um, a central database and they all provide their own data into that database so that they have a, a full pool of data that they can use. Whereas in the GA, we know that it's it's so cloak and dagger that nobody is willing to, to share their their information with another team because of that um, willingness to try and get ahead. You know, mm-hmm. and that's probably one of the big limitations that when we produce our research, that it would be brilliant to have all the um, Lee McCarthy teams submitting data into uh, a pool resource so that we could really understand uh, what what the game is about and maybe the changes over the season, mm-hmm. um, which, which is something that we're looking at at the moment.
1: Yeah, um, just going back to your your uh, what you said there about the coach and and this guy has twenty minutes in him. Um, the NBA you'll often see lads on on minute restrictions, yeah, um, so. Like the likes of Derrick Rose with with the New York Knicks, he, he's on a 22 minute um, minute restriction. But for those 22 minutes, and when he's on the floor, he's he's pedal to the metal, he's gas and uh, full gas, and and that. Now, obviously, we can't do that in the the GA because you you don't have the role and substitutions that that they, they have, and they can manage that throughout the game. But how how do you manage that that in the in the GA because? if a guy only has 20 minutes in him, but he mightn't see the ball for five or six minutes at a time. So how do you manage that, that 20 minutes, so to speak?
0: Well, I suppose, and you're right, and hockey is the very same with the role in substitutions and they can rest players, bring them in and then for, uh, perform high intensity activity for that period of time that they're on. Um, you, you look at the rugby and the restrictions of the total game time and number of games that they play, Whereas in the GA, um, we have what we have uh, and, and the limitation of five substitutions and the impact of that and when they're made to enhance your performance, be it mostly it's, it's tactical, um, the substitutions rather than physical. Um, so it comes back to if, if the player is only 20 minutes in them or potentially 20 minutes in them, the coach has to decide well whether does he start him or does he leave him till the end and bring him on um, and, and and again that's tactical and, and, and making best use of of that substitution um, but usually uh, if that if you're best player um, you, you you want him on the pitch and 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 you're right the, um, the number of, um, number of possessions is quite low like on average there's 11 possessions at intercounty level, over the seventy minutes. Mm-hmm. So if you're giving him twenty minutes, well, he might only get one or two. You know, yeah. but it it possessions is only one element of the game, uh, and and what why are they doing for ninety nine percent of the rest of the time? Uh, and it, it might be the case that that uh, that that player or that injured player or whatever you're you're bringing on m- might have a, a a different role to play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's. Um, the opposition might be watching him, and he might be actually taking him uh, two players out of the game for for the opposition or something.
1: So, yeah, and yeah. a, a lot of it is tactical as well. Mm-hmm. So, just moving on to the performance analysis and, and in game. So, when a game is on and you're communicating that off the line, what's your thought process in sending the message? Um, given the limited time frame that you might have, like, is there a process beforehand where you will talk to, I suppose, Alim Sheedy or 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 your equivalent to, with with a John Kylie uh, as to what the key metrics that the manager needs to know and, and how to deliver them.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I suppose it 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 starts off with a conversation at the start of the year, no matter be it your your club manager or coach or or intercounty manager, and and ask him, what do they want? Mm. You know, what what do they what's their philosophy and what they do they see as important. And, and so there's a, a list created and then from that you have to identify, well, what's important and what's important on the day. Um, and maybe some of the elements that they want can be produced after the match. So really what is going to change your performance on the given day? And that's that's a trial beforehand and, and uh, the definitions of those are really, really important because say whoever is collecting the information uh, needs to collect it, but whoever is interpreting the data, be it the manager or coach uh, needs to understand is the same language that they're using uh, and is it the same metric that they're collecting? And then therefore, when they give it back to the players, do the players understand what the metric is and why they're, they're, they're um, collecting it? So we, we can collect so much about the game and and player and people collect so much that isn't really uh valuable be it on the game now it could be valuable for other reasons after the game and and you have to decide well okay what do you want be it is it technical is it tactical is a team play orientated is it psychological is it for your team is it for the opposition team is it individual or is it a set of backs or a set of forwards? Um, and then, if you want all this, well, what is it going to take to produce that? And quite often, it's a case that you'd need nearly forty guys to collect the information that some uh, coaches want. Yeah. But you, you, you really have to examine that list and say what is critical to to, to uh, the performance that you know you you're going to be able to track uh, an element of the game over uh, the period sharp here that it's on and then it's going to influence the the performance that's the remaining
1: part of the game so say if you're if you're sitting in the stand now or or i suppose on the side of the pitch or whatever how soon can you spot uh patterns of the opposition's play within the game does that happen very quickly or does it take a take a while do you need a full half to to spot any, any certain patterns
0: yeah, and I suppose it comes down to the homework that you do, that uh, the more that you know about the opposition or the more b- about your own team, uh, it's um, a little bit easier to spot a pattern. So, for example, if we look at one game that, that the opposition are playing, well, they might have done something by accident and we're looking out for it and then we see it and then, it, oh, that's a pattern. Now, uh, it it's often happened to me, Uh, in a number of uh, different um, settings that I was in and people come to me and say, well, just tip uh, are trying to do this, that and the other. And we weren't, (laughs) you know, it's, 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 it's it's just happening because look, there's so much in the game that is so chaotic that things happen. And then people, when they see it, oh, because they have a bias for that. So for example, some people love um, ground hurling are striking the ball from one end of the field to the other. And then when they see that, oh, that, that that's brilliant for them. So it's it's their own biases that they're looking for. Now, the more information that you have on the player and the opposition going into the game, uh, the, the easier it is to spot that pattern. So, for example, if if we were going in to play X team, um, we'd have try and get a couple of matches on them and then see – well, okay, this is what we're expecting, and then is it actually happening? And and some things might happen very, very quickly, and others, it takes longer because, remember, they're, they're coming with a game plan probably specific for you, and they're trying different elements of that. Um, and and they might uh, change your game plan depending on, on who they're playing. So it, it's it's harder to spot that. And I suppose that's that's the intriguing uh, point of it and the mystery of it that's so exciting you're you're you're
1: trying to identify what they're trying to do yeah so like before a game now are you looking at your own team and and you're i suppose trying to identify a, a perceived weakness and say right limerick is are going to target and um, the number four cornerback that area because that's something that that's we are potentially weak in is is that is that the kind of analysis you would do prior to a game, um, to try to try and prepare your own team.
0: Yeah, and I suppose. Look, we can really only control our own uh, team and and as best we can. Um, like like every team, we'd have a number of opposition players that we'd we want to be marking and we try and mat- match up who's marking who and trying to 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 limit the. The amount of um, damage that they can do on us so the, the best that we can do then is provide information on that player uh, to that player and then put them in situations that they're more likely to be able for that. Now um, because we would see our our team more often we probably know more about them and, and we, we, we'd like to to see or gain more information about ourselves because we'd, we'd have training to look at as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and look, we're trying to, 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 to prepare them as best we can for what's coming down the tracks, because no matter what opposition uh, that's coming, they're going to throw something slightly different at you. That might be a weakness in one when we're playing one team might be a strength in another team,
1: you know, very good. So, um, half-time in a game is, is a lot of the, the key work with stats done prior to half-time. How do you deliver that message then at half-time to, to, I suppose, one, the manager, and two, the players, or do, do do you as a performance analyst just give that information to the manager and let him do what he thinks is best, or would you actually go to an individual player and, and, and
0: yeah, I suppose the, deliberately since back since two thousand and eight, I've I've uh, limited my interaction with the players because it, it's it's the coach's role to interact with them, and and that's what what I would see. And my role is to provide them with the information so that they can take the information how they see fit, and then uh, talk to whoever. So we, we're during the first half, you're again you're collecting your information and uh, your gain and your interpretation of the game. And then maybe a a summary is done for half time and that's handed over and relayed. Uh, This is what's happening. And then it's up to the management then to interpret and maybe confirm what they're um, uh, seeing or maybe um, provide something that they, they haven't noticed. because. As, as you know yourself, there's so much going on in the game and, and the, the management might be focused on certain areas that you're trying to provide an overview of, of maybe what, what's happening. And, and you might have identified a couple of areas to maybe focus on before the game uh, so that they don't have to kind of focus their attention on that, that they know that that's been tracked uh, during, during, uh, during the game. So you're coming with that information at halftime. And then, then the management hand, hand it over to the players as they see fit, be it uh, as, as a group or individually
1: or, or that. you know? And then post-game, uh, when, when you go back over, over all the, the data you have collected, um, do, do you, um, does that begin straight away or are, are you going to sleep on it and then maybe have a look at the, the game video um, afterwards before, before you make any observations to, to management?
0: Okay, so um, <clears throat> we, have, we have access to the TV truck and we'd, we'd set up some recording devices say, uh, to, to get our uh, footage from behind the goals or, or um, the side-on TV camera without replays um, because that's really important so that at uh, the match uh, at home, they're, they're uh, showing replays of scores and stuff like that and you, and you may miss some elements of the game that, that's, that's happening. Um, so we, we get that and we download that after the match when, when I get home and th- that takes about 40 minutes uh, to download and upload into the video analysis software and then it's it's into coding the game so it might be eight or nine o'clock when when I get home and and then you're into maybe coding that and that takes maybe four to five hours um, that initial code um, and that's that's uploaded then onto the website so the management and players can get access to that so that that's the kind of initial code and then you're you're then the following day or following days depending on how long you have so for example the train is on Tuesday night and um, mon- Mondays is usually a busy day uh, and then maybe Tuesday up to up to lunchtime you're preparing maybe a review or or information for for um the management to 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 present back to maybe an individual player or or a group, um, and yeah, it's 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 time consuming, but um, the initial code is is the critical part that you you collect all your information, and then uh, the management can get access
1: to that. You know? And is is there a difference between what you would show to the management and and to the players, or is it up? Do you leave it up to the management what they want to deliver themselves to the players
0: well uh, yeah and um, so th- there's probably layers uh so that, that everyone has access to everything mm. um some players love information um and they're really detailed about uh their match facts and others aren't uh and and that comes down to each individual and and you have to respect that um so the, the, the management probably have <clears throat> based on their analysis and their uh, and what they want to work on for the next day, uh, pre- pull out that information, that key information. And then we, we, we put that together and present back to the players. Now, instead of the players watching the whole game that they can watch uh, any time that they're around the ball. So their information is condensed into maybe two to three minutes of information because look, uh, they're they're very busy, uh, and if you think that the, their training time, like they're they're training four or five times a week, uh, we we want to minimize um, another layer of information, uh, so that they can actually switch off uh, outside of that. So instead of watching the whole game, they can um, get
1: access to uh, their own clips or certain clips that that we want them to see. Oh, yeah. Um, so you you mentioned earlier that you potentially could have like forty people in the stand and monitoring the game. Like when Tip when Tip play in Crow Park, how big is the stats team on, on match day? Like we've we've seen, uh, I suppose the two buses and, and with with the with the amount of backroom team that that it's not only Tip, it's 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 the majority of counties now. Like so, how how big would would your team be collecting collecting stats?
0: Well, I tell you, uh, if we had forty lads um, uh, looking at stats, we I'd have to seriously ask, <laughs> what, what are we looking at, and how much are we looking at? Uh, but no, look, forty was a throwaway statement. Um, we'd I... have tr- we, we we we'd have three, we'd have three on match day, and again, it comes down to a couple of things. One is what we're looking at. Um, if if you have one or two trying to look at everything, when well, you're you're going to miss something. Um, so you, uh, what are you looking at? Are you looking at your team, your own team? And then what are you looking at from an opposition point of view? And in, in order to be reliable and the numbers be correct in what you're uh, feeding back, you, you need help. Simple as that. Like most club teams um, now have two people uh, looking after their stats. Um, so
1: we, we would have three. Okay. Three on match day, yeah, yeah. yeah and it, yeah. is there a chain of command then, where I suppose d- does one person then just de- de- deal directly with the manager, so he's not getting three or four, three, three different opinions? Uh, is that it?
0: Ex- exactly? And and that's really really important that uh, everybody knows their roles and what they're doing and uh, who's who's reporting back. So generally. Um, the the three of us are collecting information, and I will be interpreting that information and sending that um, uh, information to 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 the management. Yeah, yeah.
1: Off the top of your head, is there a statistic that has shown to be the worst indicator of of player performance? Is there something that everyone looks at, and you're kind of going, "I don't know why these lads are looking at, at that." Um, the the one that's um. I have to laugh about
0: at the moment is rock balls. Um, people, people, again, it, it's, it's something that the it, it's a bias. They, they see rock balls and, and as important or, um, or, or, people have different um, biases for their own thing, but the, the number of rock balls, yeah, out of the league, there's, there's a number of rock balls, but when it comes to championship, the, the number of rock balls decrease. And again, it, like if there was four or five rock balls in in the in the whole game, like there's more important things to be to be worrying about than 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 that. And, and look, it, it it some of it is media driven as well. Um, take for instance uh, puckouts, because puckouts are easily uh, tracked and you're able to uh, see um, the start and finish of it uh the, the media have really latched onto that and they're winning oh they're winning puckouts or they're losing puckouts but again like we've won um loads of puckouts and lost the match and vice versa like our our puckout stats might be lower than the opposition and still win the match so it it's really uh what actually happens in the next phase of play is more important than the initial puckout.
1: Uh, and that kind of leads me on to the next thing, which is, um, I suppose, if, if a player isn't playing that great, we like, would say Michael Jordan referred to, to game time as when the game is there to be won, I suppose, to use the American phrase, clutch time. Um, mm-hmm. In this period of the game, some players thrive and some players melt, as we've, we've all seen. If a big player's stats are not good at this point of the game, before this point kicks in, is there allowances made for this? One? Are, sta- are stats monitored or weighted uh, within the pressures of the game? That's a really, really important point that <clears throat>
0: what are you basing your uh, stats on? Okay, so what one is what you're collecting and then you must um, think about past performances. So <clears throat> for example, in 2010, uh, Lara Corbett had one possession in the first half. Okay, He cut the ball out of, the, uh, out of um, I think, Shane McGrath in the ball and scored a goal. Mm-hmm. Now, if if you were just basing your um, information on on um, on possessions only, well, you might have taken Lara uh, off um, ten minutes in the second half because he still didn't. He still only had one possession. Now he, he ended up with five possessions, but the five possessions were three goals, uh, um, one of three, and I think maybe a wide or something like that. Yeah. So again. You, you, you need to understand the stats in relation to the overall performance. So for, I'll give you another example. Um, if for example, one, one player is marking their best player and that player has maybe one possession or two possessions. And you're saying oh, that, Oh, that player isn't in the game. He needs to come out. Well, that the opposition guy who is probably their best player, May not have even one possession or two possessions, or maybe three possessions, or maybe he's only scored a point where he usually has six.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it, it, it's that understanding of your team will give you a, a better kind of context of the game and interpretation of the stats. And and it's really really important that people understand maybe the the the, the whole performance. So as I mentioned earlier, you're you're talking about players only on the ball for less than 60 seconds and that, and that would be a really, really good day. Um, so what are they doing outside of that and what's their role? So if, 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 if you know their role in the game, it might be man marking, it might be um, uh, tackling and <clears throat> for example that, that player might have been running after the opposition player but didn't physically get a hook in but um, cause that player maybe to, to reduce that strike for from maybe 60 meters down to 30 meters, uh, but there's no kind of uh, or, or you may not have a box on your stat sheet to, to put that um instance in, uh, but still you you kind of have a, a, an overview of the game, yeah, and and, I, and 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 that's critical,
1: yeah, and 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 I suppose at, at club level, um, I suppose without the 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 amount of input that that goes on at Intercounty at club level a manager might say um, Jesus Johnny needs to come off because he's not having a good game and you as the as the statistician or or the performance analyst might say he's really affecting the game is that something that that should happen more or or, Hmm. again is that that perceived bias that Johnny's not having a good game so we're whipping him off kind of thing
0: yeah and and look uh, it probably goes back to your initial um Conversation: what is a performance and what is the player's role for that game? And like we all know the poor corner forward is usually the first to come up. Um, but what is their role? And the ball might not have gone in there. Um, so yeah, it, I, I suppose the, the, the element of match facts is to back up uh, maybe your opinion or maybe um, give you another view because again, no matter... Who you are. You, you you build up a bias for or against uh, a particular player and you put them into a box. But by using your match facts and your information about the game, it, it, it divides that um,
1: being too kind or too harsh on that particular player or group of players. Mm-hmm. Do, do you believe in paralysis by analysis? Can teams end up mentally wearing themselves, looking for an edge in the numbers rather than looking for it in more practical preparation and ultimately actually hinder their chances of winning
0: uh, totally
1: uh, I definitely do um, I think like uh,
0: we, we have only so much capacity in our, our, our frontal lobe that we can only uh, inf- gather so much information about it now um, if for example the coaches constantly bombarding the, the players with information well the they're thinking and maybe overthinking their performance. Now, we want players, no matter what level they are, they're in a flow state so that they can go out and perform to their maximum ability without this big brother approach that, oh, what are they watching? And, oh, they're going to take me off anyway. Um, and, and worse still, if if the coach is bombarding them with information, it can be a self-fulfilling Prophecy of when that actually happens. Well, they're they're confirming how good the opposition are. Mm-hmm. um So they, they they might say, well, the opposition are brilliant at puckouts. Uh, they're brilliant at puckouts, and next thing they start uh, the opposition start winning puckouts, and then the the team gets worried about, oh, we're not winning puckouts, and and then it becomes a vicious cycle that uh, it's going to be very hard to get out of on on match day. um now, so some players, again, love, love the stats and love um, getting information about their performance and maybe their opposition, uh, their opponent that they're going to be watching. And, and, and others uh, want limited information. And, and that's where it comes back to dealing with that person individually and getting to know them, um, what do they want? what form of information that they needed some needed in in the form of written as in a text or um a match fact in on paper mm-hmm. others and, and and more likely they, they probably want the video um a video of 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 that um, be it their performance or uh opposition performance because uh, it, it's 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 the world that we're living in you know yeah
1: so um i suppose just moving on uh, to, to kind of clubs and what age group would you recommend starting to doing stats at juvenile games or should you even do the at juvenile games and and if you do what are the key metrics you should be recording well
0: i suppose it look it, it's 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 no harm uh, starting from the very word go because it's relevant to what what they're actually doing it, it takes the emphasis so our only match stat really for juveniles is the scoreboard. Mm -hmm. And now that's okay if you're winning matches and, and maybe some teams winning by, by a lot. Now, if you're only focusing on the match stat as being the scoreboard, well, you're missing so much about the performance. Now take the, 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 the team that's maybe going out losing their games or they might be in a, whereas they don't have the capacity because of maybe the number of players uh, they, they might be pushed into a and they're really a B team and next thing they go out and get hockeyed. Well, if you're only focusing on, on your scoreboard as your only match fact, well, it can be very demoralizing. So it comes back to maybe your, your development of your team and development of your players that what are you emphasizing? Well, maybe we worked on uh, scoring goals um, or, uh, taking, um, creating goals, chances, or score chances, or whatever in 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 a match, when well, you might uh, relay that at halftime and take the emphasis off 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 of winning,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and it's more um, performance related than than outcome related. Yeah. And 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 look, that that depends. It, it might be a case that you're you're practicing um, catching, and we're going to see. Okay, in the first half, how many catches can we get? And, and that can be very motivating for, for say, a juvenile team, um, or maybe how many stra- uh, strikes can we get? Or, uh, you know, say we're, we're working with an under-12 team and how many passes can we make? Um, because they all want to hold on to the ball and, and next thing they won't pass the ball. Yeah. So it's really what you want to emphasize in, in your development, your team, and, and you build your, your, your match stats around that. Yeah. Now, Again, everything is appropriate and level uh, to the level that you're working with. So, if you're going in given a um, maybe a five-minute summary of the game at half time, sure, you're only doing it for yourself really, because the, the young lads have have uh, switched off after yeah. ten seconds, like so, you know. Yeah.
1: If a if a club is, is new to the area, I suppose, as you said, a lot of clubs now, especially at the Dan Breen level, will we'll be having statisticians or, and one or two guys doing it. But if a club is new to the area of stats, what, what's a good starting point for them? Okay, I
0: suppose... Okay, how how do you start? Well, number one, you sit down and um, you think about what you want to measure. And then why do you want to measure that? When you actually use that, you know, because... I see so many collecting loads of information that they don't even use. And, and it's just a waste of time um, that you could be doing something else. The, the, the second thing is, um, what do you want to measure live and what can be left for after the match? Um, and it's probably a better investment maybe to, to buy a video camera and video your match or get access to your video so that you can watch it over and over again. Because again, look, the more times you see it, the, the more information that you're you're going to, to pick up. Um and then I suppose who is going to collect that? Because you you, you really need someone reliable that is probably a little bit detached from the game. Um you, we we all know the how emotionally attached that we get to, to the game and next thing um we're given out about X player missed the goal or the referee or whatever and and <laughs> and the match is going on, and, and we, we're, we're after missing key information. Mm. So is, is there someone who is reliable um, that, that will be able to produce and ensure that information is correct? And again, look, that, that is a learning process um, that they will get better over, uh, over a period of time. And then how will you collect it? So for, for most, uh, pen and paper is more than enough. Uh, like if you're only looking at key information pen and paper is is satisfactory
1: you know uh, you probably answered this with with the with the video record but what what would you like to see clubs spending money on that would be beneficial and effective long term
0: well so, uh, the the price of video uh camcorders have, have, have decreased uh incredibly over the last couple of years like you can buy a, a high definition camera now uh, for about 300 euros uh, and a tripod maybe for maybe 50 to 100 euros and th- and that would be a really, really good investment um, for any club um, so that that you have a physical recording of the game that you can watch over and over again um, and, and that would be a starting point if 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 a club was looking at it. Now, you see, it can be used right across the, the, the teams as well um, and then uh, identifying maybe someone in the club who is is good at actually working it, <laughs> uh, and and that, that that's important too. Um, that again that they're they're able to operate the camera and uh, capture the the, the matches is going on. I suppose a big difficulty with with most club grounds is getting height. Um, it, it's great in simple stadium because uh, you can be. Up in the stand and you're looking down at, at the pitch, whereas most club grounds there isn't that facility to get above the players. Um, you know, like videoing at the same level as the players is 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 really difficult to actually watch back afterwards. But again, it's it's better not, I suppose.
1: Yeah. And um, if you could just highlight three or four metrics that that should be tracked in every game, what, what would they be? Well, I suppose that this is going to sound
0: stupid, but the, the biggest uh, influence on, on winning performance is uh, attempts at goal, shots. Right. Um, so the basic, the very basis um, that you'd start off with is uh, the number of shots. So you have the number of shots and then out of that then, um, you're subdividing them into uh, goals, points and whites and maybe even drop shot so we know that um, over a number of championship matches that um, the teams who take the most shots uh, usually win mm-hmm. now that, that sounds stupid but again that's a key performance indicator um, that we know that's going to influence your your uh, eventual outcome. Um, I suppose then, if you think about how do we get the shot off then? So maybe how do we get the ball from one area to the other? Um, and how many are going in there? Um, and and I mentioned, sorry, I mentioned that uh, out of that shot, uh, you can have a shot efficiency. Right? So um, the number of shots divided by uh, the number of scores, mm-hmm. um, so that can give you a percentage, and and you look, you can track that throughout the game. What what is it? Um, your first half versus your second half, and then what is it for you compared to the opposition? And even that alone would be really really important.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now it comes down then to the coach's uh, philosophy after that. Um, <clears throat> so we know that. Um, is going to be between uh, a club level thirty-five to uh, county level uh, forty-five to fifty puckouts in in a game. Um, so based on 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 uh, that, we know that that's going to happen before we even start. Now, counting a puck out one and last is is easy, um, but it's actually what happens after it. You know, so we might initially lose a puck out, but then regain the ball very uh, quickly after that. So it's it's maybe how do we do after the puck out um, is, is another interesting uh, thing to, to be looking at. And then look, m- uh, most teams will be looking at how do they get the ball back? And that is maybe
1: a tackle. Yeah, the hoax blocks and tackles is a big one at the moment. So. Yeah yeah
0: yeah but again look uh that can be very misleading too. that if you have the ball your your tackle count is going to be low
1: Mm -hmm. yeah
0: you know so uh, again again you see you have to take it in the context of the game that oh our tackle count is down but oh the number of our possessions is really really high so we can tackle ourselves obviously
1: yeah yeah Makes sense. Um, you you were the performance analysis coach for Tip prior to finishing your hurling your club career. There was a number of drum lads on the panel at the time. When it came to negative analysis, did that create any kind of a rift with your teammates, or, or how how did did you did you or they handle it?
0: Yeah, and I, I suppose look, uh, there was uh, a couple of, of players um, in and out during the. the The number of years I've been there and and there since, and some have played, some have um, not played, some have been taken off, some have been coming on or whatever and have variable performances throughout. And that's another reason uh, why I kind of stay back out of that direct um, uh, feedback um, because it's not, as I see it, it's not my role to, um, uh, provide the information directly to that player. So mm. the performance is the performance, and the the facts are the facts. Um, you know, so if, if you stay to the facts and the performance, well, it's very hard to argue with that. Um, when you go into the the world of opinion, now that can be very debatable because the player then can say, "Well, sure, I didn't do that," whereas once you deal with the facts and the video or whatever, um, they can see, well, yeah, okay. I did, or I didn't. Um, and and that's where I would see my role is providing information for the coach, um, to give the performance because the coach might be looking at the performance, uh, in terms of development. So if, if the player is coming in on the team, it might be right. We're looking for him later on in the season or, uh next season um whereas maybe i wouldn't see that mm-hmm. you know, in so instance
1: yeah. so just uh, i suppose moving on to to another side of it uh, do, do you analyze fundamental movement capabilities uh for juveniles and if so what aid would you start at okay so th-
0: this is a really interesting topic and it's one that i lecture in uh, mm-hmm. fundamental movement skills so Fundamental movement skills uh, for, for, for people is stability, locomotion, and manipulation. Uh, stability being static or dynamic, um, locomotion being running, skipping, hopping, jumping, uh, and manipulation then uh, throwing, catching, striking, kicking. Now, these are the precursor for sport specific skills. So if we think about um, a pyramid, Uh, So fundamental movement skills provide a structure and foundation on top of um, hurling uh, to to support skills like hurling and football, soccer, rugby, whatever sport that you're playing. Now, the wider and deeper and more competent the player is in their fundamental movement skills, it gives them a better opportunity to build a bigger pyramid. Um, So, if you think really about your, your juvenile teams, your fundamental movement skills, as I mentioned, static, dynamic stability, um, running, skipping, hopping, jumping, throwing, catching, kicking, are critically uh, critical to develop when they're younger. Um, but most of us focus on the top of the pyramid and we focus really on uh, hurling skills and football skills. So take take the under sixes or under eights. The the time that you put into your fundamental movement skills will pay off in the long term, because they'll be um, they'll have a better foundation on which to to build their their sport specific skills on. Now, as a result, we need to provide activities and experiences for them to uh, practice their fundamental movement skills. So. Um, creative play is is really really important and <clears throat> quite often it's a case that we have too much structured activity uh, for for our juvenile um, teams um, and, and focus on them standing still and standing in the line whereas they should be off uh, playing and running around playing tag different different types of, of, of things like that now providing um, activities is is one thing um improving those activities is just as important so yeah if we if we set up activities uh, let them play and let them perform fundamental move skills yeah they'll improve but the level of skill will be dependent on a couple of things the quality of instruction so the coach's interaction with the player can they spot them maybe um, putting the opposite foot forward when they're throwing with the opposite hand or kicking while standing, uh, providing sta- static balance on the other leg. Now that coach's inter- uh, interaction with the player and uh, correction of the player will really, really enhance their skill. So the observation skills that we, we, we mentioned earlier of, of looking at the performance is is important so that we can help the player. Now, early in life, because they'll do more of the activity, they'll improve, but they'll only improve to a certain capacity until there's some intervention. And, and the coach's intervention or a parent's intervention that they can spot something within that movement or skill development will then unlock the door to a higher level of performance. So take, for instance, um, kicking on both feet. Well, kicking up with both feet is a really, really complicated skill. That is pretty, um, the, the, what's more important before that is can the child balance on both legs? So static balance with the left leg and static balance with the right leg will then help the athlete or the player to kick with the opposite leg. It's not really the kicking leg that's important. It's the standing leg is is the important thing first. And then kicking is going to be important. But it's providing those activities. And then if if we want them to perform that, it's looking at uh, correcting them and reinforcing what they're doing right.
1: And, And would you prefer to do fundamental movements um, with or without a ball or does that make a difference uh,
0: sometimes and a lot of the time once we use the ball um, they get distracted by the ball hmm. so we can do running skipping hopping jumping uh, with a ball but that's what we call a combination of fundamental movement skills so if we if we think about um, um, adding complexity And in order to, I'll give you the analogy of moving up a stairs, right, or a ladder. Now, if we want them, more players to reach the top of the, the stairs or the ladder, well, we'll put in more rungs or more steps in there. Now, some activities require the player to jump maybe six or seven steps up the ladder. And that is... For example, combining fundamental movement skills together. So for example, running, jumping, and catching a ball. That's a couple of fundamental movement skills combined. Now, if we expect them to do that, well, are they able to jump? Well, if they are, they're more likely to be able to to combine the activity. But they mightn't be able to catch. So the running and jumping is possible, but the catching isn't. So expecting them to combine the, the fundamental movement skills together will be will be more difficult. Um, and we're making it more complicated. So step by step, build your uh, um, individual skills before combining them together. And then that way you're you're putting more rungs of the ladder in and more steps of the stairs so that we can get more people up to the top of the 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 tree
1: you know and and would you have seen that uh, i suppose like my no more than myself you you probably grew up in in the, i suppose the late 80s early 90s and children of the 21st century um, i suppose you've a lot of devices Xboxes, playstations phones and that and like i suppose running skipping kicking catching were something that we would have done naturally as 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 children because we weren't indoors as much or, or perceived to be indoors as much. Do you see would you in your experience would you think that the, the children of today are not learning those skills and have to be taught them as opposed to just um, building them up by being out in fields and climbing trees and, and stuff that that we used to do when we were younger.
0: Yeah. The, the other, the other element of, um, improving fundamental movement skills or skills is the environment and the environment, as you mentioned, for us, uh, because we had limited other distractions, we had to entertain ourselves by playing and outside and maybe coming, uh, to play with your friends and play with, with maybe the neighbors or play with your siblings or whoever, to entertain and, and um, put down the time. So what we're doing nowadays, and there's there's loads of research showing that the level of fundamental movement skills is decreasing as, as we're, we're moving along uh, in time, but we're kind of um, putting structures in place to provide those activities. So there's more maybe uh, playground equipment, which is brilliant. Um, but we're kind of uh, providing those opportunities for them. Um, there's more opportunities maybe for other activities. And you mentioned Xboxes or Playstations or whatever. Now, they have a benefit too. Playing those uh, improves your hand-eye coordination. So you're looking at thousands and millions of images coming into your eyes and then you're interpreting them in your brain and you're uh, pressing buttons to coordinate at an action that's happening on the screen. Now the difficulty is it's, it's not physical. So a number of years ago, the Nintendo bought out the Wii, mm-hmm. and that was, um, an impressive step because you had to be physically active, maybe on the surfboard or, or kicking or tennis or whatever and you're looking at responding to images now in terms of fundamental movement skills unfortunately they don't improve by age alone just because the 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 child moves from 10 to 11 to 12 to 13 it doesn't the skills don't improve at the same uh, level you actually have to perform the skill and then uh, perform it correctly if you if, if you like So the, the, the environment that, that we're all growing up in is, is pushing us into, um, one element or the other, like ourselves, like it, the, the reliance on mobile phones is increasing all the time. And, uh, the, the, the number of hours on screens is, is increasing now that has a big impact on if we take back to our, our performances, right? Because. Are near vision. And if we're learning how to track uh, objects, so for the child tracking um, uh, and in, to catch a ball, he needs or she needs to be able to track a flight of the ball, right? So if they're on screens or laptops, their, their vision is what we call focus. It's a focus vision where we're looking directly at the, the screen. And how we move on the screen is by moving our finger. Okay, so we scroll, right? Whereas um, if you're reading, for example, and this is how we learn how to track, is is, um, reading a word after a word, after a word, after word. Now, early in life, we used our finger and we placed our finger under the exact word that we wanted to read. And that helped us track the words from word to word. And then as we got better at that, we then maybe progressed to using a ruler because then we could identify one line against the other line and we'd read the line and then we'd move down the ruler and then read the other line. And then as we improved, we got um, used to reading and following down line after line without any additional help. But the big challenge nowadays is that children are learning so much and using so much of screens that we fixate our eyes on and then use our finger to move the screen um, for us. Mm -hmm. And that has a a relationship back to learning, uh, catching and striking and reading the flight of, of the ball. And those coming up to matches should avoid screen time because of that near eye vision
1: okay that's interesting um so in your most recent publication the ball in play versus the ball out of play match demands of elite senior hurling you concluded the coaches should tailor their training towards more game specific demands that your research has uncovered can you give us an overall idea of the conclusions you came to in your research and where coaches should be focusing more in terms of preparation in this regard
0: Okay, so uh, it all started out with uh, understanding what is this game about? Okay, so what is the structure of a game? Now, the game of hurling and like most invasion type field games is stop and start, right? The game stops and starts. Now, um, an inter game is on average 76 minutes. Now, we kind of knew that because of uh, additional time Uh, for substitutions and injuries and stuff like that so the game runs on for 76 minutes but of that 76 minutes only 30 minutes and 30 seconds of that game is when the ball is in play so for more than half of the game the ball is out of play now of that 30 minutes of the ball in play it's made up of small individual short sections so on average, there's 89 sections in the game or phases of play. So the ball goes in and out of the uh, out of the out of play over and over and over again. And on average, the most um, ball in play and ball out of play uh, durations is less than 30 seconds. So the game is stopping and starting very frequently, and uh, over a short duration. So as a result, we need our players to be able to stop and start over and over again. Now, from a coaching point of view, well, if we look at the physical demands of the game, right, we know that the players run around uh, 109 metres every minute, but that's averaged out over the total duration of the game. But Uh, recent research that we we published only just before Christmas is what were the physical demands of when the ball is in play versus when the ball is out of play. So on average, the players run 109 meters every minute. But when the ball is in play, that intensity of running increases up to 135 meters every minute and then decreases to 76 uh, meters every minute. So the intensity of the game is really high when the ball is in play and then low when the ball is out of play. And it's their ability to change between high and low intensity is, is, is important for, for the conditioning of players. Now, if we think about coaching for that, uh, what, what does our coaching sessions look like for that? Well, there is a a big shift over to games-based coaching and and creating games uh, to prepare the players for that. Well, that is really um, beneficial because you have technical, tactical, team play, psychological um, elements within the game, provided that you have um, the game rules and the number of players set up appropriately. So for example, if we have a possession game in a 40 by 40 meter square. Now, most games, we'd let them run on for maybe five, 10 minutes. Now, because the duration is so long, the players adapt their intensity to last that duration. So as a result, the intensity that the players are moving at decreases as the duration goes on. So, The possession type game actually ends up with low intensity and the players uh, get used to surviving or or, um, performing at that low intensity. Now, that's okay if that's what you want, but it's not going to be preparing them for what happens in the game that it changes intensity very frequently between really, really high and then low intensity. So it's more beneficial that you have small sided games with an outcome. Now that outcome being a shot at goal, because if you think about what happens in the game and the most predictive, predictive element of success is a shot at goal. Now if players and you're playing a small sided game or um, a conditioning game in, in training, You're now adding the element of the context of the game that they're going to be performing in. What is the, what do I do when I get the ball? Well, I'm trying to set up a scoring opportunity or when the opposition get the ball, I am trying to deny a scoring opportunity. And then because there's going to be a shot at goal, there's going to be a break in play. And as that break in play occurs, the intensity drops. Right, so now the players go up and down in intensity. Okay, Um, so the the period when the, the ball is out of play is not a negative thing because it prepares them and gives them an opportunity to recover and then perform the next high intensity activity. So if you want high intensity activity, you need to give them some low intensity activity. And it's the ability then to replicate that high, low, high, low, high, low, high, low is then uh, matching what's actually happened in the game. So we learn to play the
1: game by playing a game. So in the same article, you suggested that further investigation would have to be made into whether ball in play and ball out of play demands are significantly different between the league and the championship. Do you expect that there will be a significant difference in level of performance between the two competitions, i.e. the championship obviously is more intense, and if so, what are the main reasons for that, for that differential? Does it come down to the fitness levels of the players in the, in the league scenario as opposed to championship in the summer?
0: okay so um we currently have a research paper um it's about 95 percent complete and what we've looked at is the differences in the running demands but also the differences in the skill demands between the national league and the championship and um we hope to uh, submit that paper um i'd say in the next couple of weeks And unfortunately, in research, it takes time. So by the time we submit that it takes at least 15 weeks for it to be reviewed. And then it takes about another 10 weeks for then to be accepted if it is accepted. So research tends to be slow, unfortunately, and quite often it's the case that the the practical implications are a little bit ahead. And that's why research takes a little bit longer to to uh, catch up. But what we do know is um, it's very similar, which is a really interesting uh, finding that uh, the league and championship, there isn't dramatic differences between either the running demands and the skill demands. Now, that has a big implication for the what we do in pre-season. So take, for instance, uh, on, a, on a, a given year that... Uh, pre or post COVID, um, you have a lead in time of maybe a couple of weeks before um, the National League. And we're exposing players to really uh, high gain demands that they might not be able for. Um So that, that will have a big implication for what we do uh, from a training point of view and from a pre season point of view.
1: Okay, so just to go back. Uh... A step from the inter-county game, and it's something you you are fairly well um, in tune with, is the development squads, and and I suppose especially in Tipperary. What what do you think is the role of the development squad um, within the inter-county scene, and I suppose sending players back to their clubs with um with with what skill level, and um, that's that's from a Tipperary point of view, and then obviously Satanta College in 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 Previous years uh, have been very much involved on a, on a strength and conditioning uh, point, and what what role do you think that can play in the development of, of our players?
0: Well, uh, uh, if we think about what is the role or what is the need for a development squad, and it's in the term development, and it, it's quite often it's the case that we get too caught up in um, did we win the twenty first? or did we win the tip supporters um, under 16? And, and because we did, well, they're nailed on now for winning the minor championship. Um, now it's, it's uh, 12 months after, or previously it was it was two years after. And it's the emphasis that we put on it and what we want to get out of it. Now, if we think about um, the development squads, cater for the 13-year-old or 14-year-old right up to, Uh, Previously, it was 17, and now it's 16-year-old. And during that period of time, there is massive changes physically that the player is undergoing. They're going through a growth spurt. And for some, it will happen when they're 13 or 14, but for others, it will be happening when they're 15 and 16. Now, when we have selection, no matter what we have, be it a divisional selection or a county selection, the danger in development squads is picking the physically advanced player. So they, they would have an advantage over the late or the guy who hasn't had their growth spurt yet. So it's really important that we have an overall long-term picture of development and what they do and, and, and what's the need. So we're trying to get them ready to play adults into county. Now, if we're narrow-focused and try to um, develop players to win a Tony Forrestal, well, we're, we're going to miss out on the late developer. Now, fortunately in TIP and in most counties, we have two squads. So we're, we're now trying to gather a, a squad of maybe 50 at each age group so that we're catering for that late developer, as, as, as I mean, the guy who hasn't hit their growth spurt yet because those who have a late growth spurt have an advantage in terms of skill over the guy who hits the growth spurt quickly because he's hitting his growth spurt quickly. He is growing um, a number of inches, maybe uh, a number of inches within a, a, a short period of time. Now, what is growing? their bones are growing rapidly. And as the teenager is growing, they're growing their hands and feet and then their legs and arms, and then their trunk catches up. Because and, and you might have seen maybe in your own situation in the club, um, you're, you're coaching the under-14s and you finish up the season um, maybe in September or uh, October. And then you you don't see the guy until February or March. And, this, this player is transformed. He's, he's completely different. He's up in the sky. Now, he has a big challenge because of the growth in his arms and legs, his longer limbs. And suddenly, the brain has to adapt for a different limb length. Now, contrast that to the guy who has a smaller or later growth spurt. His limbs are the same length or are not growing as fast and can perform skills and skill refinement for longer. Now, we mentioned earlier about fundamental movement skills. Fundamental movement skills are important for the juveniles so that they learn the basic skills, but <clears throat> they're also important for the teenager because of that change in his body's shape. And can he then adapt and coordinate his new limb length because it's a psychological issue uh, as well. That, for example, this player who has normally caught the ball at a certain point, his limb length has changed and his brain is saying, well, that's where you usually catch the ball. And now he starts dropping it and that can have a real confidence issue with the, with the player. But also, this player who is physically developed when he's uh, during the teenage years, when he comes to 17 and 18, when the others have caught up, well, if he hasn't developed his fundamental movement skills and his sports skills like curling and football, well, the others are going to pass him out. And then suddenly, it might be too late for that player uh, to catch up. Now, he can always catch up, but it's going to take him longer and more work, um, to catch up. So it comes back to what are we developing our players for? And it's really preparing them and guiding them through this process of, um, of rapid changes in physical growth while learning additional skills and learning, um, learning the game, um, so if we think about the club player who's sending in the, the players into an inter-county setup, well, we're trying to perform, uh, uh, get um, a bigger level of performance out of them and expose them to players of a better level. So we know in clubs that we have maybe a couple of guys who maybe are ahead of the others because they, they, they play more or they practice more. When they go into a development squad, we want to give them the opportunities to develop against their peers at that level. Now, if we think about um, the uh, physically advanced players, if they're competing with their own level, they're going to uh, hopefully uh, improve with quality instructions and the environment Uh, to do so. Now, an interesting term uh, is um, being used in rugby and soccer now, and it's called bio-banding. And that is a concept of grouping those who are at the same physically developed ages together, right? Not the age on their date of birth, but their age of their body together, so that they can thrive against those at the same uh, physical, maturity than others. Now, in, in, um, for in places like the Premier League and take for example, Arsenal, once a week, the physically uh, developed player plays with the age uh, grade above uh, their age grade. So for example, the 15 year old who is physically developed plays with the under 16 team so that they can monitor their physical development. And vice versa, those the late developer can play down the level so that they play with the on the 14 team. So again, check in their level of skill um, against their own age group and, and make sure that they're not advancing just from a physical point of view, they're advancing from a skill and a game point of view. Now, by default, that happens in rural clubs because. Maybe you, you need that 13 or 14-year-old to play under 16 because he has no other choice. It's, it's the case to make sure that at county level, that all the players are developing and having a long-term um, picture in mind. So if I was to say to a 14-year-old, well, I'm going to give you five years of development before you play a county minor, or... Um, four years, well, you're going to get a huge amount of development if that development is joined up, right? So the danger is that we go in, um, be it a club or a county level, and just perform uh, repetitive sessions. Now, these players are busy enough and playing enough that they don't need another uh, standard session. They need to be working on elements, be it physical, technical, tactical, or psychological, that are going to advance these players to a higher level of performance. And if we can give them four years of that, well, that would be brilliant, provided that it's progressively uh, challenging the player year on
1: year. I, I'm- I suppose from a development point of view um, in players, and it's quite a hot topic in, in tip at the moment, is the, the dual player issue. And um, Shane Brophy had a good, a good article in the, the Guardian there lately about um, the dual players from 10 to 15 and the amount of them that actually went on to play um, inter-county. Do you think that, the, I suppose, the, from, a development, from a player's development point of view, the skills that they learn playing football or hurling that are transferable across... Do you think that they should play that? Does that dual um, playing help them in the long term? Or at what point should they say, okay, hold on a minute, I want to kick foot, I I want to play uh, senior inter county football, and I should concentrate on football from a development point of view?
0: Yeah, and and look, um, I suppose because we're trying and, and we're dealing with the same players, it's going to be a hot topic. Um, It's becoming more and more difficult to play sports. And um, one one of the major reasons is that uh, the structures and the championship overlapping and some matches being on the same weekend or same day. Um, Now, there is research showing that the more sports that you play when you're younger, uh, the more um, chance you have when you're later. Now, that not only is formal sport. So, for example, um, when we were younger, and it still happens, um, when Wimbledon was on, you'd be out playing tennis. When the Masters is on this week, you might be out playing golf. Um, or the Football All-Ireland is on, you're out playing. The World Cup is on, you're out playing soccer. So, all of this um, activity and playing different sports will definitely help you. Now, the major issue is trying to specialise in both courts. Because it, if you think about it, it's, it's difficult enough to achieve high performance in one, never mind two. Now, the research shows that um, those who play sport uh, multi, multiple sports and, and even recreationally younger, but specialize when they come to late teenagers, have a greater uh, opportunity to make elite level. Now... Um, I don't, I don't read papers. I, I just, I, I don't watch news. So I, I try and stay away from all that. I, I have too much going on. But people were telling me about, about the research, whatever. Now, interestingly enough, it, it, it was interesting that the, the study or the research or, or the, 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 the article uh, focused on 2010 to 2015. Now the scientist in me is saying, well, that's a very narrow, uh, snapshot of of who played. Now, it might be really beneficial because it might be uh, confirming a twenty year period. Yeah, no problem. Um, and it might be biased towards hurling, or might be biased towards football, or might be biased towards both. So I can not and 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 that I would really, really like to see it uh, the same um, methodology used over a longer period of time. Because look. If it is a benefit, bring it. If it isn't, well, we need to, to do something something about it. Okay, but it, what I would have loved to see, and uh, now it, it might be in it because I haven't ever read it, is to include all the players on the senior panels at the moment and look at what they did at minor, because we get a better snapshot of what currently is happening. Right. So, for for example, um, our, you know, s- some have recognised maybe the best players that 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 Tip have produced, the likes of Pawdy and Brendan and Noel and Banner and Shamey. Like the the twenty ten to twenty fifteen age grade, our, our our gap doesn't include those. Mm-hmm. So, where where do they sit in in terms of of that? And and we're saying that. These are the players maybe that reached the, the highest levels of performance. Um, and as far as I know that 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 they didn't play jewel. So look, it's 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 an open debate. And because we're we're trying to deal with the same players, and usually those who are up for jewel are probably the best hurlers or the best footballers, and and supplement that, it's it's going to be um, Difficult, you know, to, to, to and an ongoing issue. Um, but again, I, I I think the issue is trying to specialize in both. Because if you're coming up with against the likes of Kilkenny, who are specializing in one, and you have a panel of players, just say we have 30 players, right? And you have five uh, of your starters or four of your starters, and they're off playing another code. And you're trying to put the, that team together well you're going to be at a disadvantage um very against those who are going to be specializing and look um you have to make up your mind when do you want to, to compete or are you looking at developing senior players um that's 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 a,
1: a, a probably a debate for another day oh, absolutely absolutely um, in terms of your own your own hurling career then, um you, you had quite a, a successful underage career. You captained the minors in ninety nine and were also a member or you were also in uh, one a Munster twenty one in ninety nine, and then obviously were quite successful with your own club. What's your fondest memory of your time between the sticks for for tip?
0: Yeah, and look, um, I suppose I grew up in a time that we we had a number of of, uh, lads at the same age. And between the two ages, say the year above me and my age grade, um, we were able to put a a significant team together. And say we would have won uh, every county final from under 12 up to senior uh and we want to fail in a a community games and look within each of those there's probably um games that that uh, were were really outstanding i suppose and and like when you go then to outside of the club you go to county and and as you mentioned you know captaining and winning a a monster minor in 99 and just barely losing out on a an all-ireland in 99 and then within the same week as the minor Munster final to, to play and win in that famous uh, night below in Ennis against uh, Clare in '99, um, that, that that was a really interesting night, probably at the height of the, the tip-clare rivalry. Um, and then to go on to um, WIT and play with probably one one of the best teams I've ever played in, uh, played Fitzgibbon in that ninety nine two thousand mm. uh, age grade with with the likes of Paul Kern, um, Henry Shefflin, Eamon Carkren, Declan Brown, um, you know Damien Joyce, like um, incredible players, you know, and 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 then lead on to senior inter county, uh, but I suppose look uh, individual performances. Look, I, I never really minded about that because <laughs> when you're planning goals you're, you're only a, um, a minute or a puck away from making a mistake um, but I suppose look uh, the 2014 mid-final against Upper Church was probably um, a standout moment in, in, in my career that uh, everything that, that could go right that day uh, went right um, yeah so uh, I, I suppose that was probably a standout moment um, but like like winning the senior final in, in, in 2011 after so many years of trying was probably a um, combination of winning all the other finals up along and then finally getting over the line, you know, this was probably not from a personal point of view in terms of playing um, but an overall view of of what the, the club have achieved and, and what we did
1: over a number of years, you know. Just going back to that 21 year of 99 or, or we'll say your minor year but obviously you played in the goal for the 21s that year and um, we had Fergal on uh, two or three weeks ago and Fergal obviously had been the goalie for that team in 96 when they won the all Ireland. Um, now Fergal wasn't on the scene in, in 99 but where do you, <laughs> we asked him the same question now, where do you rate that team? Um, now I suppose you lost to Galway in the semi-final in Port Leash I think it was and um I think Fergal Heaney, who would have been your full back at the time, had to go up injured Tom Cossum uh from, from Cappi here. He he stepped into fullback that day on 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 Clunen, who who was an outstanding player at that time. But w- how would you rate that team, I suppose, um, overall? Uh, some great hurlers came off it now. Uh, a lot
0: of yeah, players. some great hurlers, some great hurlers. Um and I can remember and um, we, we played the Munster final on a Wednesday night. And for some reason, and I, I, I've never looked it up since, but we actually had to play Galway on the following Saturday. Sure. Now, I, it must have been a fixtures thing, or, or maybe Galway were in the uh, senior, or so, something was going on. And that was a huge um, challenge for us, because the euphoria of the beaten clear in Ennis on that night, uh, and then to come down and get up for the Galway match um, on the following Saturday, and I remember, uh, yeah, uh, Eugene Clunan or whatever. Galway had a really good team, but I would definitely have given us a big chance of beating them. And Kilkenny were in the final afterwards, and and Henry was on that team as well. But I remember we were in it right up to the death, and Declan Declan Brown was was true and and hit the post uh, to 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 win it, and we, we were as close as that to. Um, uh, to 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 pull in and off, and I think, you know, after coming over those two matches, you know, who knows what what would have happened in the final afterwards, but mm-hmm. it it was probably a, a disappointment. And <clears throat> I, for some reason, I don't know why why we 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 were forced out the the couple of days after. But I suppose look, it, it's like it's like comparing uh, one team against another. You know, circumstances have changed, and you know there was some excellent players that they. Would we have beaten teams in 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 the present day? Well, I'd like to think so, but I I, I don't know. Um, it's 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 very hard to 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 say that, you know. It's, yeah. it's... Um, because look, the, the the modern generation of players have incredible players as well. Like,
1: oh no, without shadow no. Um, so so drum drum uh, became a prominent senior standard club, really. Kind of, I suppose, it coincided with your your progression through through the ranks, and um, you had you had some serious underage teams, and do you recall any key figures in that rise that that um that helped you become what you are? And I mean, for a relatively small club, I think you, you have four hurling teams, um, or certainly did at one stage have four hurling teams out from from senior to junior B. And how how do you hold on to that many players over over? The last twenty years. Well,
0: it's probably unfair to single out one person, but um, like, uh, I would put a lot of that success down to Paulie Butler, mm-hmm. uh, and anyone that knows Paulie, the passion that he has uh, for for hurling and his coaching was way beyond his years. And like, I remember when we were under twelve and, and we were doing. Uh, we we were performing training, uh, you know that county teams weren't doing at that time. Like and and like, uh, Pauly would have taught me in school, and you know we 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 would have hurled an inch before school at eleven, at one, and and maybe on three evenings of the week we would have stayed back after school uh, to hurl, and 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 that was a, a huge education for us. Um, and he would have been involved in in teams right up along. And we would have had great success or um, support from parents and club um, uh, officials and committee members along the way, around, and that supported that development. Um, and, and we were probably um, trying to plough a, a, a lone floral in, in terms of what was ahead of us, because for years our senior team, or our top team would have played maybe intermediate uh, after maybe the likes of winning the uh, won the one mid-final in 84. Um, but I remember playing minor, as uh, playing minor, and there was eight minors playing senior um, back in, in the, the late uh, 90s. And that, that was a big challenge for us to, to get over that hump of... The, the older players at that particular time saw us coming through and retired. And left a big gap between the adult players and then the minors and it took us a long time to get over that and it was probably until 2004 we made the breakthrough and we got to the county quarterfinal against um, the combination at that time um, and they bet us in camper white and we got to the county quarterfinal in 2004 and we probably hit the quarterfinal ever since uh, and that was probably the big breakthrough at that particular time. Uh, we contested the county final in two thousand and five. Um, but yeah, like what Pawdy did for Drum and Inch uh, was was just out of this world. It was incredible, incredible. The impact he had on on uh, on everyone. Yeah.
1: Um, you touched on it earlier on, there that you you won the Dan Breen in in 2011, and I know from my own club now I was only young in 87 when they won it, but I mean they had they had won three or four West titles, been beaten at quarterfinal, semifinal stage, and and then finally got over the line in in, in 87. Whereas ye probably went to I think it was three or four county finals and lost them before you actually won one in the end. Um, it must be a great feeling, would we'll say, that in 2011 to finally... Was it more a sense of relief than jubilation at that stage? Or I suppose it, through time now, you you look back in it and it is pure jubilation. But at that time, was it just, Jesus, thank God, we we won it?
0: Yeah, well, it was, to be honest. Uh, we were beaten in 05 or 07 or uh, 09. And then uh, we came back and won it in eleven. And you know as as time goes on, you you'd be saying, "You know, will you actually ever win it?" Um, but we were we were young at the time, and Harlan was probably our life. like we, we didn't know any different. Um, and even after losing them, what are you going to do afterwards? you're going to get back up in the horse and, and go again. Mm-hmm. And those defeats definitely made us stronger um, uh, year on year. And, and I suppose eleven. Then we probably, if you looked at the performance, it probably wasn't our best performance. But trying to win a final for the first time, uh, you know, there's there's elements of maybe nerves or the opposition or whatever. It, it you know it takes a big effort to get over the line. And fortunately, we did. Like we started off, uh, Canolty got a great start. We came back into it just before half time. Came out um, after the second half, and John O'Neill scored a goal, and, and next thing was was down again, you know. And and I suppose look, we're we're in the vintage of riot the Rovers, and it was definitely a, a riot the Rovers um, match that day. That you know you couldn't write the drama of it, um, and and to eventually get over the line was was just euphoric, I suppose, and and, and relief at the end of it. Yeah? that's you know it might have slipped us by you know like so many others um so many other clubs you know you get there so often and you you know you're competing against we were competing against other teams that were in their golden generation at the time as well
1: yeah yeah Um. so just i suppose looking back is there any regrets you have uh looking back on your on your on your playing career and um if you had the chance would you do anything differently
0: yeah, I suppose the the ninety nine All Ireland final was probably a, a kind of a regret. Uh, we got very very close to Galway. Um, it was it was so it was so hard uh, to take that um, defeat. Like looking up at the Galway captain at the time uh, lifting the trophy, and you and you just so close to it. Um, it's 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 it was it was a hard one to take. Uh, but overall, look, I had a a good innings. I played senior for twenty two years. For twenty one of those, uh, I played every single minute of of championship action. Um, like it's it's hard to have regrets after. It. Like you have, in in everyone's career, you're going to lose more than you're going to win. Um, but we had a really really good innings, like with winning county finals from every age group grade. Not too many have that, and I'm I'm very happy with that and. Um, you know, it's 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 hard. You'll have small regrets along the way, but yeah. overall, it's it's been a a fantastic um, journey. You know.
1: Yeah. So just before we finish up, real quick, I'll fire a couple of questions at you, and if you can just give me the first answer that comes to mind. Um, if there's yeah. one thing in in the game of hurling that irks you at the moment, what would that be? Uh, the, ha- the, tackle, the the
0: tackle that the hands uh, use the hands in the tackle, I suppose.
1: Uh, what book would you recommend as essential reading Um,
0: there is um, coaching better every season is Wade Wade Gilbert really really good book Uh,
1: can you name any person that you hold in high regard within your field that we should follow on the likes of Twitter or or Facebook or anything like that Um,
0: there's
1: there's a couple of guys. Uh,
0: be it soccer, it's 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 important to actually uh, look at outside of your sport as well. Um, I know Brian McDonald is really really good. Um, if there's any article worth reading, uh, he has it and he's retweeting it. Uh, so definitely Brian McDonald. Uh, uh, I think it's six four two
1: or something like that. Yeah. Brian McDonald would get get you. No, he's excellent to follow him. Yeah. Um, this question came in from a minor player and. Um, who would like to get involved in analysis and stats. What would you recommend this start and are there courses that they should look at?
0: Yeah, uh, so there's a performance analysis course um, in the Technological University of of Dublin, uh, formerly Blanchestown. You can do a four years uh, there. Uh, You can do a master's in performance analysis in Carlow. Um, But you can do an introduction to uh, performance analysis, the GA have uh, their own uh, course, uh, which is on learning.ga.ie. You'll get uh, information on that. There go. Uh,
1: water breaks or coaching breaks?
0: Uh, coaching breaks, but again, uh, time limited. It needs to be time limited.
1: Uh, Paul Kinner's tactic board, help or hindrance?
0: Uh, help if they're able to read it um like again that needs to be um used beforehand like it can be a huge distraction on the on the day of the game if if it's produced just for the day of the game
1: yeah. best player you played with or against
0: um i suppose just to avoid uh, criticism <laughs> i'll go outside the county um uh jj delaney was one of the best players i've ever uh, played behind um, all ireland hurling Champions 2021? Uh, we'll definitely have to say tip, but um, yeah, it's going to be hard to uh, dethrone Limerick and it's probably an easy answer to to identify Limerick because they're champions. But it's going to be tight. are um, going to be knocking there? Kilkenny, Galway. Yeah, you could name a number and that's what makes it exciting.
1: Yeah, football champions anyway past the dubs.
0: Uh, I don't think so. And now Kerry might come uh, with a re Um I see Donny Buckley has gone to Manan, which it would be really interesting. But um, yeah, dubs. Dan Breen winners. Uh, again, uh, it's going to be hard to look outside Kildangan. and uh, They have uh, a huge amount of uh, scores up front and uh,
1: uh, really, really good backs. So trying to dethrone the champions. Damien Young, it was an absolute pleasure. I didn't think we'd be on this long, but it was great. It was really interesting. Thanks very much. Thanks very much, and hope someone got something out of it. Well, that's all we have time for on this edition of the Premier View podcast. Huge thank you to Damien Young of the Drummond Inch Club and Satanta College for his tremendous input. It was a pleasure to have him on board. Don't forget to give all our social media a follow, Premier View Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For me, Mike McCarthy. This is the Premier View podcast, Tipperary's Premier GA podcast. Mm-hmm.